0: Good evening and welcome to this platform of Lucky Break, Esther Freud's actually novel. Now, Esther, very welcome indeed. Thank you. Um, your seventh novel, yeah. uh, a novel that was in one point a series of little novels, short stories. How did that... Um, how did it go from short stories to novel, firstly? I think I'd like to ask. Um,
1: well, I was writing a novel and I suddenly had this idea I think I was commissioned to write a short story for something, and I wrote a short story um, in the world of acting. It's not something that got into the book in the end, but it was set um, backstage at a big theatre. And it was so much fun to write, and I suddenly thought, maybe I I could write a whole series of short stories instead of writing a novel. Um, And I did, and I didn't particularly give thought to the characters or the theme of it. I, I decided I would just write any stories that revolved around sort of incidents mm-hmm. that ca- come up to do with being an actor. Yeah. And um, so for the first time in my life, rather than a story being character-driven or place-driven, it was driven by sort of issues that come mm. up. Mm. And, um, and I wrote and wrote and wrote, and that was actually the easy part of the book. And then when I finished it, I realised, actually, I want this to be a novel. And that was the really hard bit because short stories have a certain rhythm. And... Um, the rhythm of acting is quite repetitive. Mm-hmm. You start, you, you know, you, you, you possibly get a job, then you do get a job or you don't get a job, and it ends, and then it all starts again. And each short, short story had a similar rhythm. So by the end of it, it was sort of exhausted, and I, I needed to make it into a shape that had some suspense. And mm. that was incredibly hard, mm. incredibly hard, having already got a shape mm. that didn't work, to make a shape that worked.
0: Now, Marvin Carson, writing in the New York Times, suggested that... Writing about the theatre uh, in, in a form of literature was was a sort of rather ugly incestual thing to do. He found it a, a, a challenge, perhaps beyond challenge. In terms of actually the the books and the films of actors acting are often um, quite unfair to what is actually a very noble art and. Um, actors often, books about her, actors often sort of collapse into rather crass and painful anecdote. And, and was, there, was there some sort of form of trepidation when you even embarked on the idea of writing about the theatre?
1: I didn't have any of those thoughts. I, I never really think um, from the outside when mm. I'm writing. I was just, you know, I was involved with telling the story of how it was from the inside. Mm. Because I trained as an actor myself and I was at drama school and I worked for about six years as an actress, before I I started to write, Um, I was right inside it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't actually think of any novels that I'd read that were from the points of view of actors. Sometimes in films and books, a a sort of cameo of an actor Mm -hmm. appears, Mm -hmm. and you always know they're going to be a big, loud, brash (laughs) character. But the truth (laughs) is, most actors aren't like that Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And I suppose I was aware that creating a whole cast of Mm -hmm. characters, all of whom were actors, Mm -hmm. even... It made me laugh. I didn't plan this, but even the lodger's as an actor and the taxi driver as an actor would want to be actor, and everyone's an mm-hmm. actor, that they're as different as every single mm-hmm. other person mm-hmm. is in the world to each other.
0: So the revisiting of your time at the Drama Centre, uh, was that a, a pleasurable revisit? I, 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 I seem to recall an interview where you describe having to be a giraffe in one of the <laughs> Drama Centre exercises. You don't look too giraffe-like today, but... Uh,
1: well... I, I didn't originally have any stories set in a drama school, but then when I was making it into a novel, I thought, well, where are these characters mm. going to meet? How are they connected? I wanted them to be connected through the story and come and come together and um, part ways. And I thought, oh, well, I guess they would meet at drama school. And having already had an idea years before of a, of a novel set in, dra- in a drama school and thought, actually, that's just too claustrophobic mm-hmm. to be with these you know, terrified and obsessive 18-year-olds for a whole novel, I, I suddenly <laughs> plunged into the first few chapters mm. where they're there and it was, it, was, it was wonderful in a way because I remembered every single detail and it was great to be able to recreate it. But I was so glad to be out the other mm. side, so grateful mm. not to be there anymore.
0: The wor- the, oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck, I'm still there. <laughs> 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 the world that you uh, create... Um, some of the reviews describe it uh, as a sort of comedy. Um, it, whilst l- ha- light in moments, there's an incredible um, ache that pervades the book. Characters are wanting something that is all but unattainable. Uh, it seems to me that actually, whilst we can laugh, we can also cry at the, 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 these uh, events in the book. And in terms of the positioning of, of each uh, event, We have three characters, for those of you who haven't read the novel, we have three characters, central characters, who are we meet them a little bit before their first day and over the span of about 14 years, we see uh, much striving for, much aching for the elusive contract. Is that something that you found yourself as an actress? Was it an aching uh, period in your life? It
1: creates an ache in you, or it certainly did in me. I, when, I, when I stopped acting after a few years, I said to someone, it's the strangest thing, it's like falling out of love with someone <laughs> who, didn't, who didn't really like you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, you know what, it's actually like falling out of love with someone who didn't even know you were there. Mm-hmm. And that's the horrible, painful part of it. I mean, there's wonderful parts of it, mm-hmm. and I tried really hard to get the balance between the, the really exciting feeling that I actually have right now just being in this theatre... Mm-hmm it's just so magical and special and also the other side that you're waiting to be acknowledged all the time and I found that you know, it it depends who you are when you start but that seemed to my needing to be acknowledged seemed to get more and larger sort of in a way it didn't ever get filled up Mm -hmm. when I started to write I was sort of acknowledging myself in some strange way by creating the story and in private without the humiliation of failing I was sort of Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, that works a bit better. Whereas when I was acting, um, it was just such a roller coaster of, of vulnerability, which I think it is. I have mm. so much regard and respect for actors who, who, who manage to sort of manage themselves yeah. through this difficult thing, which mm. they, they, have to, they have to deal with. Um, because
0: Something that you had to deal with mm. was that you were booted out. Mm. I'm afraid we have a failed actress. <laughs> I failed drama school kick-out here. Um, there, there was a period uh, many years ago when famously drama school was sort of culled acting students, rather like white seals, and you were one of those white seals. You were culled.
1: I was. The um, Drama Centre was particularly harsh in this way. My husband went to RADA where, you know, once you were in, you were, you know, you were told you were wonderful and, you know, special and one of the few to have attained this special place. That created a hardship sometimes when you left and found you weren't so special. But Drama Center had the other idea that they'd tell you you were absolute shit from the word go. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you left, to your amazement, well, it was a lot nicer out there. Um, that was, I don't know if they ever thought ahead, but that was their, that was their thought. But the, very early on in the course, they, they made it known that if you did anything they didn't really feel they approved of, you could be out. Um, if you managed to survive the first two years by not displeasing them in any way. Um, but you could displease them in all sorts of extraordinary ways. Colin Firth was in The Year Above Me. If you, if you, if you caught your eye, uh, you were out. Um, that They didn't like that. They didn't want anyone to interfere with Colin Firth. His two girlfriends were out in a flash. Um, LAUGHTER but anyway, if you survive two years... You're not
0: bitter, then. That's good. That's
1: uh, a, I wasn't yeah. thrown out because I caught Colin Firth's eye. No, no. I'm a little bitter <laughs> about that. But, I'm, yeah. I'm, but, but anyway, after two years, there would be a, an interview system where all the people would line up. And I have created, recreated this mm. in my book, and I found it quite cathartic, I have mm. to say. Everyone got an interview. It's often the first time you'd actually spoken to the directors of the school in the entire two years. And they said, you know... Yes, yes or no, for you to come back into the third year. And um, they didn't say yes to me. And um, <laughs> I, was, I was so gutted by it. But, you know, within a few months I had a job, I was having fun, I was out there, and I went, oh, life, life outside mm-hmm. is, is kind of wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually so glad now that I didn't spend one more year mm-hmm. in that strange dark place, but at the time it was what I most wanted, so I was gutted.
0: There is an essential sort of flattening of persona and personality entering any sort of vocational setting. I'm sort of thinking of, of the sort of jazz playing priest, probably having to turn down the jazz sort of thing. And there is a sense, I think, entering... At a drama school, you have to toe a particular line which is invisible, isn't it? And a, tick, and a particular line which is very obvious and stated, i.e. the classes themselves. What did you excel in? Okay, you were booted out, but you must, there must have been things in your training that you were actually rather good at. Because you actually made a living out of acting.
1: I have no idea. You, you were none the wiser. I mean, I, I, I would love to... Um, to know what, if anyone felt they excelled. You weren't made to particularly... I asked one friend of mine who did stay for the three years. I said, but I always imagined in that third year, you were finally told, you are wonderful. And (laughs) and they went, no, they carried on being just as horrible to us, Mm -hmm. even though we were the ones who stayed. Um, I think what I wanted to excel at was I wanted to be truthful. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to to make magic because when I go to the theatre, that's what I see and that's why, why mm. I love mm. going to the theatre. It's my favourite mm. thing. So I just wanted to be someone who could create a believable story mm. for the audience to get lost in. But once I found I could do that with writing, then I was hooked on that.
0: Yes. Yeah, I have to say, as a head of an acting course, the book made me blush. I, I really feared that, um, you know, my God, is this what we're really like? And, and in many ways, I think, yes, that's that is what we're really like and it's it's fearful and wonderful your description of how grotesque we all are and i i think i'd like you to share some of that description now if i may and ask you if if you would mind to read something from
1: okay lucky break i will I, i'm going, not going to read anything from the drama school part thank um, god for that but <laughs> i didn't want to <laughs> embarrass jeff too much who is the director of central he hadn't i don't know if you said that but um, um but I'm going to... I've got three main characters. Um, <clears throat> they're quite different. I wanted to give a different scope of the three types of... act. You know, I mean, there are millions of types of actors. But um, one of my characters is Nell.
0: Who I love, by the way. I she's,
1: just sort of... she, she's often... The, she's the sort of the person that people feel, in a way, most in touch with. She, like me, was asked to leave after the, the second year. Um, she she, she determinedly creates her career. She, she gets various jobs, and she's taken on by a small agent from, who sees her in a pub theatre. Um, but she, she keeps going up for auditions and never quite getting the job. And they sent her to an audition coach who's, who's, who basically asks her, tell me, what are you thinking when you are auditioning? And Nell thinks. And then she realises, as she's saying her lines, um, I left no ring with you, what means... She's actually thinking... I'm not going to get this job. I'm rubbish. I'm just terrible. They're never going to employ me. And so once she realises this, she she gets a job. So um, I'm going to stand up and read because I feel a bit crouched down otherwise. Um, Within two weeks, Nell had her first professional job at Hampstead (coughs) Theatre. She was to play a singing telegrammer girl caught (laughs) up in a shopping centre siege. At her audition, she'd had to... Bark the first verse of my way as if she were a dog. Woof, 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 woof. But nothing had fazed her. Congratulations! Her agent Lindsay was as pleased as if she'd got the part herself. I knew you could do it. And on the first night, she sent her a spray of pink and red carnations with a card signed from all at Ethel Dabs. Who's your agent? The lead actress, Philida de Corsi, squinted at the card as Nell stuck it onto the mirror, and the director, Timmy, who had sidled into the dressing room for a last quick chat, answered for her. Ethel Abs, you know. When they sent out her CV, it was all the wrong way round. Nell, really, you should have a word with them about that. Um, the, the, the wrong way? Nell didn't understand. Well, they'd put everything in order of the date, he turned to Philida, not with her most recent work first, what she'd done at drama school. The two of them laughed in an agonised sort of way, as if it was just too hilarious and sad to bear. Nell put her carnations in water. Darlings, my darlings, one last note. Timmy turned and put his spare arm round Nell's shoulder. Pace, pace, (laughs) pace. Uh, That's three notes, Philida laughed, but Nell saw that under the rouge and the lipstick, she was pale. It's the half. The stage manager called from the corridor, and Phillida shrieked. Nell rushed to the loo. Her body felt molten, flaming, slick with fear. It was as if she was about to step out of an aeroplane and plummet into <laughs> space. She pressed her face against the smooth paint of the door, crouched down and wrapped her arms around her knees. Why am I doing this? she asked herself. And she imagined the shock of her mother, her sister, her sister's boyfriend, of Lindsay, Sita, Pierre... Charlie, everyone she'd promised, who'd promised that they would come, their faces dissolving as she crashed to the floor. Fifteen minutes, someone was knocking, and she roused herself. Please God, she murmured, and she swore that if she made it through the first night, she'd never ever put herself through anything so terrifying again. When she went back into the dressing room, she found Philida smoking out of the window. You don't mind, do you, darling? she asked and she offered her a puff. The stage manager was back. The five, he said gently. Positions, please. Philida clasped Nell's hand. It doesn't get easier. Her whole body was trembling. I feel more nervous now than when I first began. More to lose. And they stood together, ice cold with fear, their palms sweating, clutching each other in the wings. The audience were in. They could hear them shuffling and chatting, happy, Innocent, not knowing that only yards away there were people suffering in agony for their sakes. (laughs) And then, to Nell's horror, the lights dimmed, the music faded, and forgetting everything she'd ever known, even her name, she stepped out into the empty, white glare of the stage. There was silence. The audience, she assumed, were just as panic-stricken as her. And then, as she'd rehearsed them, her lines came out quite normally, as if she was someone else. Philida was behind her, humming, bustling, offering her toast, and by the time Howard entered in his security guard's uniform, Nell was able to turn to him, a cup of tea in one hand, a broom in the other, and welcome him as if this was her home. During the interval, Timmy put his head round the door and blew them both a kiss, and when Nell went on for the second half, she was skipping, flying, barking out her song with glee, woof, 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 She caught Philida's eye and smiled. She waltzed around the stage with Howard and later, when they all hid behind a bunker of Jaffa cake boxes, she crouched there, her blood singing, ecstatic as she'd not been since she was a child. And it was over. There was rapturous applause. The three of them gripped hands and bowed three times, their hearts high as the moon. You were (laughs) marvellous. Absolutely wonderful, Lindsay hugged her, and over her shoulder, Nell saw her mother, tearful, glowing, a look of wonder in her eyes, as if now she understood. Thank you.
0: It's very refreshing, isn't it, to have a writer who can actually read her own work uh, so often. It's so disappointing, isn't it? Apart from Dylan Thomas, I can't really think of anybody that can. uh, Let's, let's ask some of these uh, nuts and bolts questions. Do you write with a pen or a laptop? Do you write at night, at two in the morning? Do you have a sort of like finish-by-lunchtime-go-for-a-run regime? What do you, how do you do it? <laughs>
1: um, I, I, I write in the morning, um, and I tend mostly to write onto the computer, but I have always have a note, many, many bits of paper around me, some of which I just write down all the things I think I should be doing while <laughs> I'm writing. So then I got dentist, big rather than actually phone the dentist, I write try not to do. So my head fills up all the time with the things I think of doing. So I have one list, but then I have other pieces of paper where I write down new plot for novel, (laughs) even though I've been writing it for a year. Um, And then, you know, that doesn't work. And then, you know, suddenly I think, I don't know how old so-and-so is, and I have to go back and work out. So I do lots of writing, but mostly typing.
0: And when you're typing, are you um, sort of annotating the film in your head or are you more clinically delivering sort of shape and structure and form?
1: Oh, um, I tend to be... What I'd really like to be doing is writing the story onwards, but what I tend to be doing is, is sentence by sentence, you oh, know? Really? Going yeah. back, thinking, hmm, I wonder if it worked better with a comma, and then you can waste literally days oh, really? in that yeah. kind of way. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I do think that you get to know it every day, again, by going back over... a. I usually start a couple of pages before go back, you know, fiddle around, change a few words, read it over over, and then strangely enough, something sort of swelled. I like the idea of I write from the inside. Yeah. So I have written another page, but by mistake, often the page before I yeah. finished.
0: So displacement activity rules it sounds like there's a sort mm-hmm. of a lot of a lot of the stuff. The deadline's
1: good. If I have to stop at 1, then 10 the, 10 or 15 minutes before one, I often <laughs> get... Get, some,
0: get cracking. I try and
1: move on to the next page, ideally, mm-hmm. in that time, just quickly write something new.
0: A couple of weeks ago, when we spoke, I asked a question which I want to ask again because I was really interested in your answer. I, I asked, is there a film in this book? You know, could this be, <coughs> could this be a, a good British movie or a good you know, three-part quality, high-end telly drama? And your answer was...
1: Ah well, um, I have had some interest, but what it seems mostly is that there's a kind of a, quite a prejudice against people watching actors, acting actors. That actually there's quite a, in a way, a prejudice against actors generally, as if that what they do when they obsess about their own art is is be self-indulgent in a way that wouldn't be pointed at, at writers or artists. That they're just as obsessed with their own work, but because they they have something else to be outside of themselves. And, and actors have to be obsessed by, they are their own tool. And um, people don't like that hmm. and are quite, quite harsh about that. Hmm. And so I did, I did um, a friend of mine, who's a producer for, for ITV, um, read it. And she did say that she thought she wouldn't be able to push it through for mm-hmm. that reason. Yes. I yeah. thought that was really interesting.
0: And the, the um, many occasions in this w- wonderful novel where people speak, is there a play within you? Is there a lot of speaking and not so much narrative?
1: Um, I, lo- I use dialogue always a lot no. in, in my writing. And I can hear everyone talking and I really love using dialogue. I'd love to write a play. I don't think I would write a play of any of the books, but I've always wanted... I would say the thing I most would like to do, apart from writing novels, is to write a play. Oh, nice. And I'm always thinking that this is the year I'm going to write a play. <laughs> um, but I actually think maybe... Uh, I have an idea at the mm. moment and I'm actually researching it. So I think maybe this is the year I mm. might start writing mm. a play. I really, I really hope so.
0: And uh, variously, writers listen to, you know, all of the Elgar and then move on to whatever, or they go to, for long walks along the... Uh, do you use other forms of art to inspire your art?
1: I probably just use other books. I I love to read, and I know some writers say that when they're they're writing, they can't read, but I'm always writing, and I would never give up reading, ever. So I'm reading all the time, and every book I read, I learn something from. Sometimes I think, I'm so inspired by something I've read, I imagine (laughs) I'm going to entirely transform my own way of writing, but I find it doesn't Mm. actually make that much Mm. difference. I just carry on with my own story. Just occasionally it affects me in a way that I, I sort of almost can't write.
0: But and when you were uh, younger, uh, an aspirant actress, mm. what were the theatre moments that so inspired you to want to become an actress in the first place?
1: Um, hmm. um, I didn't live in London until I was 16, and I came to London quite often to see theatre. I remember being brought to the National when mm-hmm. it just opened and being told by my teacher Look at this. You might think it's a block of concrete, but every mm-hmm. plank, every stripe of concrete has been pressed against a plank of wood and you can see all the grains of the wood in it. And I, I, loved, I loved that so much and I even thought that as I walked along. I looked up and saw the grains of wood in the concrete and thought, such a beautiful building. Um, I, I just absolutely loved whatever I saw, mm. <laughs> to be honest. Mm. I came to see... Um, Illuminatus by mm-hmm. Ken Campbell at the Roundhouse when I was about 14. I, I don't know what I made of it, but I was exhilarated beyond mm-hmm. belief. And mm-hmm. then I saw um, in McKellen and Judy Dench say, uh, see the play that you're not allowed to mm-hmm. say in the theatre, the Scottish play. I mean, you have to be superstitious. Somehow. She's such a lovely, isn't she? she I didn't really... mean to be. <laughs> yeah. I just know that there are people here who are about to go on and do their play in <laughs> yes, half an hour, yes, and I, yes. for their sake. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why we were talking about the title, actually. Hmm. It's interesting about actors being superstitious. It's just so much luck and strange things come into what, what propels your world forward that you can see how it can happen. Hmm. And I don't think I'm superstitious in any other part hmm. of my life. When I thought about a title, I wanted, I like the phrase, break a leg. And I was thinking about the fact that acting is so to do with breaks, and also the sort of how broken you can feel when it goes badly. And so I wanted to use that, and then the luck of it. So I used that. I don't normally have such meaning for my titles, no. but lucky break. Even though it seems like a phrase that's quite flippant, it sort of meant a lot. Meant a lot to me.
0: Woody Allen says the lucky break is when your agent doesn't call. And it seems to me that uh, certainly everybody in the, in the novel, uh, be it person, f- you know, filling your car with petrol to the actor themselves, has ownership of that 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 phrase in some way. <laughs> and that's quite an intriguing sort of literary hunt to sort of see how people are going to own that phrase. I enjoyed that very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Esther Freud, author of Lucky Break, we're very happy that you were here this evening. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.